0: This is a special episode of the FemSquire series, where I interview women attorneys and law firm owners about their career path and their experience as an entrepreneur, including why they became a lawyer, how their practice has evolved, their biggest challenges and successes as both attorneys and business owners, and their vision for the future. They share their philosophies about business and life. Don't reinvent the wheel. Whatever you're going through, these ladies have been there and done that already. Learn from their mistakes and from their successes. Find out what works for them and what didn't. And you'll find that their inspiration, motivation, and challenges are probably very similar to your own. Whatever you're experiencing, you're not alone. I hope you enjoy these ladies' stories. You're listening to Wake Up Call with Christina Previtt. This is the Hashtag Femme Swire series. And joining me today is Christine Mattis, an attorney in Tom's River practicing estate planning
1: guardianship actions real estate right yes what else do you do christine Uh, a lot of special needs planning and we have also special needs education law so yeah that's that's what we covered good so i start out every
0: interview with the same question and i know that you know that because you've listened to all of them So where did you go to college and what did you think you wanted to be when you grow up? So
1: I went to college at Rutgers, Douglas College, and I majored, I eventually majored in economics. Uh, I thought I was going to get into the finance industry. I did internships over at, at the time, I don't know if anyone remembers, Dean Witter. That was a big institution. I had an internship. I worked over the summer over in Wall Street. It was uh, Chase bank. So at least that's still around. Uh, And I thought that was my path. Prior to that, I really was looking into being an eye doctor. I know it's funny. Um, My family has a medical um, history. And I took chemistry in high school. And I said, yeah, not for me. That's not me. So that was a quick turn. Uh, But yeah, then did economics. And then I realized that I've always had this pull helping those who can't help themselves. Always had this urge to do a little bit more. And, you know, working on Wall Street, I had a taste of it. And uh, I just didn't feel like it was a fit. It wasn't me. It it really wasn't something that I could see myself doing in the long term. It was fun in the beginning, but... Well, what were you doing? So in the beginning, I would... One of the jobs I had was cold calling people. They would take a page from the phone book... And I was to sell them bonds over the phone. So, but like the boiler room. Oh, yeah. And they would give you a script and they would record you because they wanted to make sure you were using the script. But what I did was, first, you had to know what you're selling. So, I had to really study what these bonds did, things like that. But what I did is, I had my own script. And so I wouldn't record. I would record it as if I had someone else on the other line. I'm just telling you how I did this. And I would actually pretend I'm having a conversation. Yeah. So I record that. Then I'd pause it. Then I'd do the actual call. Christine, I can't believe you did that. And I got more sales that way because it was my own touch. And I remember then when I switched jobs, there was a woman who took my place. And she would call me. And she says, Christine, all your customers are the nicest. They love you. They miss you. And she goes, when I tried with that script, that was hard. And I had to tell her, she says, don't use that script. This is my script. Use my script. But it was it that went on. That is hysterical. Yes. Yeah. It went on. And I remember my boss was so challenging. I still challenging. remember his name. And, and, but should we, kept, should we shouldn't say his no, name. No, we shouldn't say his name. And I remember he would actually bring me up to the, we'll have these meetings, staff meetings, rah-rah meetings. And he was like, here's the highest conversion, Christine Mattis. And he was like, and look, she followed the script. And he would play the tapes, which I was like, all fake. They were all fake. There's no one on the other line. Shouldn't, I'm like, you, oh, have, well. shouldn't you have told them at some point that, you know what,
0: dumbass, <laughs> I'm not using your script. Well, maybe not dumbass. Well, here, maybe leave out the well, dumbass.
1: Well, it was this 20-year-old, didn't graduate yet from college, teaching this guy who had been in the profession for, what, 40 years? You know, I, it wasn't going to happen. There was no way he's going to listen to me, a woman. It was still then, yeah. still like that. And that, it's like no, it's not going to happen. So I would be like, "Yep, his script, his script did it." Yeah, if you listen to those tapes, there's no one. It's just this monologue. Hi, not Figure that out. <laughs> I guess I'm a good actress. I don't wow. know. I'm Like, hi, Mister. So and so. i mm, I'm great. How about you? And and <laughs> I would do the script. There's oh, no one there. There was no one there. I love that story. Now this was a male-dominated yeah. industry, right? Yes, hundred percent. Hundred percent. When I did an internship, it was a Christmas break. And I think it was my sophomore year. It was a woman who wanted me to work with her. we're in Chase in, in on Water Street, which is on Wall Street. Uh, her second day, she got canned. <laughs> I remember her, I walked in this, you know, she was telling me what we're going to do. So exciting. Second morning came in, she had a box on her desk and I was so confused. And she goes, so I'm leaving. This is my last day. And I'm like, and she said, didn't work out here, but you still have a job for the Christmas break. And so-and-so will teach you. And I'm like, great and I remember feeling so sad for her but she didn't even shed a tear she was just like nope I'm moving on and she goes this will happen Christine so you just move on I'm oh like, good God. advice. but then that was it I was the only woman in that whole floor oh so was that exciting or were you nervous very nervous very nervous I it, and it was and when people know me I'm typically I've gotten grown out of my shell over the years but then I was very shy very shy yeah, you were young and I would just with the flow, just go with the flow. But you know, these guys would be like, Oh, we're going out for lunch, you're coming with us. And I'm like, Sure, sure. And after a while, I sometimes felt like I didn't want to even go with them because it just mm-hmm. felt odd. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, as an intern, there wasn't they would just give me things to do. I had to do a presentation about some new product that they thought they should be rolling out. So I, I did a, this whole presentation about it. I couldn't even tell you what it was about, but I do remember I was staying with my aunt who lives in New York, and every morning she would pack my my briefcase because I said I didn't have a briefcase and she goes you should you can just walk in there without anything I'm like I don't know what I have so she used a briefcase so every day was an old newspaper it was like probably three days old because I didn't I don't know, like throw this out a banana and <laughs> yogurt and that was it <laughs> every day breaking. every day there was nothing oh, else in there because <laughs> I, 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 I couldn't walk in with anything and she's and I remember she would say, you you really should have something in your hands when you walk to the It's Wall Street, you know. I'm like, oh, all right. It's like the equivalent of an attorney having a legal pad,
0: (laughs) a yellow legal. It has to be yellow. Yeah, Yeah, when you open it, and then if
1: you look at the paper, i like, in my head would be like, hey, this was like Monday. It's Wednesday. I'm like, yeah, I don't know. So how long did you last there? Oh, uh, you know, again, it was just during summers, uh-huh. during winter breaks. So, so you I did kept it. Going back, I did. I did it for let's say at least three years. Uh, senior year, that's, that's when I decided. Time. Yeah, senior year, I said, you yeah, know, maybe I'll do something else. So locally. Uh, the, the big hospital uh, here in Thomas River is the biggest industry. So I said, well, let's see what we could do there. I did a mini internship in the personnel department at the community medical center and got to see the legal department. So that was my first taste of doing reading interrogatories and reading depositions and getting into it. What I was, and again, I don't think that attorney is there anymore who represents the hospital. I always wanted to get an appointment with him and just pick his brain and find out what is this about being an attorney? What do you do? He, I'm just Leon. He never had time for me. Never had time for oh. me. Um, when he did, it was I was like so nervous. I couldn't believe it. He was like, "Are you been wanting to talk to me?" I'm um, yes. And so went in. I didn't even sit, and I rattled off all these questions. He just answered them. There was no no mentorship. No no back and forth. So I took it on me that oh. I really wasn't prepared I should have known I should have whatever um and I always remember that because now when I do have people who reach out students or people who are just thinking about entering this profession I don't want to be that guy I don't want to because that felt it felt bad but I didn't want to be him
0: I know I'm asking you to speculate but do you think it was because you were a woman
1: probably and a kid right yeah in his mind like I'm so busy yes I I am Mr. Important (laughs) Mr. Busy Man. And I remember his face. I remember everything about him. And and I kept thinking, I didn't even sit. Because I just felt like, oh, I'm in. I'm in the office. I can't tell how many messages, how many notes I left on the desk. How many, like, I can make an appointment. They wouldn't let me have an appointment. Like, well, he doesn't take appointments, basically. The, the last three words, with you. <laughs> so Well, what I admire about that is you didn't give up. I didn't. I don't know what happened. I just, and then it turned into a game. Like Yeah, it's doing. like,
0: Mr. Important, bossy pants, <laughs> I'm going to get an appointment with you. Yeah. If it's the last thing I do. Yeah. So I have to say, though, with the economics thing, I mean, you
1: weren't really doing anything financial. You were doing sales. Correct. Absolutely. That's exactly where it started out. And that was my first taste. I didn't know the word cold calling, never heard of that. But I remember the, and I remember tearing out that page and she just put it on the desk and said, So you're going to start to call these people. And of course, I got so scared about people hanging up. But then you got used to it the people hang yeah. up on your home. All right, next. Some people were really crazy. Like it was just so like they would just start yelling and you're thinking like, all right, man, I'm just calling. I That's okay. You don't have to take my call. But And this was in the 80s, right? Early 90s. Uh, and so I'll be honest, when people do call telemarketers, I, I don't, I'm not very rude. I'm just like, understood. Thank you. No, thanks. You know, and I hang up, I'm, I'm not like
0: rah, crazy on the phone. Well, that's what we always learn and how to manage, right? From our John and, and anybody really who teaches sales is that, you're going to get more no's. Mm-hmm. And you just have to roll with it. Don't take it personally. You know, don't get all upset. Don't stop. Yes. Because you got to know. You just move on to the next you one. You just
1: move on to, I mean, the first few, it was like, uh, that someone hang up. It was this thing. It was like, oh, they yeah. hung up on me. Like, How rude. Yeah, they don't even know me. And How then could they? And then it clicked. Yeah, they don't even know me. I don't know them. Next. Yeah. You know, and just went right to the next person. And then when the person did stay on the line, it was like, oh. <laughs> Like I'm You're ready. Still there. I'm, I know. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Do you know who I? You don't know me, and I'm gonna sell you something. You're okay with that? And and people would be like, oh. And I well, can I mail you something? Sure. They give me their address. So, like okay, because that was a time. I'm like, I'm just confirming your address. Sure. And when they did, that, I'm like, and I you would want to hang up and say, oh, I love you. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, <laughs> like you for that. being nice to yes, me. Yes, that was it. That
0: was so it. would you say that that is something that kind of stays with you, like riding a bike? Yes. Or do you have to learn it all over again later? Uh,
1: The initial picking up the phone is always, to me, a little scary because your mind starts playing a game. What are you doing? This is getting ridiculous. And not that I cold call anyone, but sometimes what we all like to do is follow up with our clients, right? our old clients, just see how they're doing. And sometimes you feel if you're just calling without a plan, it does feel nerve wracking and you feel like, you question yourself, what am I doing? What do they think I'm doing? And they, they think, think you're calling them to get new business. Right. right. And you think that, but as I'm going through the call and I remind myself uh, that if I'm calling, I'm really calling because I, I care for you and I just want to know how you're doing. And if there's something that you say that could help you, I'm just helping you. And that if you go in there with that intention, with that sincerity, then it's not scary. But you know, you're right. If you're going there, if you're intending to sell, for me, it doesn't. It won't work. It, it really won't. It Especially won't if you're calling with the
0: attitude of God, you know, business is slow. I really need to get this person to, you know, sign up for something.
1: I don't even care what it is. That's a whole lot of pressure. It and people feel that. They do. They feel that. They do. And you really got to turn it off because, as a business owner, we all go through that. There yeah. are times where you're just like, wow, this is this is a tough week, and. Yeah. And then you have that person in the room and you could think like, oh, my God, I got to get this person. I got this person because no one yeah. has said yes in a long time. And You do that. You're not even listening. You're yeah, even that's listening. true. You,
0: you just got you kind of have to just tone that down. You have to just go into and I've learned this the hard way, too. It, it feels so much better when you go into the conversation just thinking, I don't know what this, if this is going to turn into a sale or not. And it doesn't even matter. Right. Know, I'm just having a conversation with somebody and it makes me feel good to be able to help them. So if I can, then I will. And if there isn't anything that I can do for them, then, then you know, what
1: conversation over. Right. And again, I just try to, and it it, t- it t- still takes time it does. to go in and just remind yourself, you're just here to help whatever I can do to help, you know, and, keep reminding myself, I did it today, that there's a world of abundance. There is no scarcity. But it is easy to fall into that because I almost did. Something happened today where I was really happy about a certain type of case and it's not going to work out. So all of a sudden I'm like, well that's it.
0: <laughs> that's yeah. it for
1: that day, you know. And yeah. but I'm like, you know what? No. It's gonna be fine. It's you all You never know gonna be good. what's gonna happen. You never know.
0: And all good. So you're you you're using the, the, the catchphrases of someone who has had mindset coaching you know, abundance and scarcity and, and all of that. So anybody who has had any sort of mindset coaching has heard those words,
1: but some of our listeners maybe have not. Good point. Yeah. I do a lot of reading, you know, so whether it's someone who's coaching you that, but it's, it's also an attitude, right? It's an attitude. It's a living purposely instead of just free falling it and just winging it, really going in with the intention that I am going to have a great day and it is a great day already and I'm going to make my own path, you know, but that's hard. That's hard. But a lot of it also was my background. My parents were very and still are very positive people, very always looking on the brighter side, taking each difficulty as an opportunity, you know, okay, well we're going to learn from that, you know, you know.
0: And we should tell our listeners who don't know you that you're Filipino.
1: Yes. So are you first generation? I am first generation. My brother and I are the only ones that were born here in the States. All our other uh, cousins are Philippine born and they transfer here or vice versa. Yeah. So just the, the two of us. Yeah. So what
0: was that like growing up in the States when you were the first generation? So my mom has a
1: great story where, and I, 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 I start to smile, I think about it. So at one point we lived in upstate New York. My father was able to get um, some hospital privileges, and he was a physician. And we were in an area, my mom really didn't research the area too well, so we were really the only minorities there. And my mom remembers one time a bunch of kids we were playing, and one kid asked me, like, why are you so dark? Like, why are you so dark? And my reply was, we just got back from Florida. <laughs> and my mom goes, yeah, that was two years Okay. <laughs> he didn't know any about it he didn't question it right oh. so for me uh growing up Filipino I know we had our own ways our own culture but I didn't pay attention to skin color um and my parents didn't make a point of that so we I grew up looking at everybody the same and if they treated us differently well you know then it, it was on them mm-hmm. but yeah th- but there were differences culturally you know the way we approached things the way we thought we're very tight knit. We're very family oriented. You know, family's always first. Uh, we're always, always together, you know. Uh, and that could be a culture clash as you get older, right? Because as we we're getting older, I realized like, oh, I want to get my own place. I, I'm graduating. I want to. And that's a little different in Filipino culture. You're all living together, even sometimes when you're married, everybody under one roof. But uh, yeah, so I remember my mom was thinking, did I say something wrong. Did she say something wrong? Why does she not want to live with us? But that was the culture that, that was how it was, you know, but I do love my culture. I do feel that it's helped me see things in many different ways. We go back to the Philippines. I haven't been there in about, I don't tell you about 10 years, 12 years now, but when you, when we did go, you know, it was such a great learning experience, Chris, because you got to see that not everybody has the privileges that yeah. we have. And you just go with the flow. Like, I think when you do it early, you just go with the flow. I remember being in the Philippines, there was, I don't know, there were certain times you couldn't have running water, but you had to still take a bath. So There was a bucket of ice cold water and just dump it on your head. Ooh. and just did it and I remember thinking like I gotta get this over with there was no like why are we doing it was just you did it now I think about it I still remember the bucket I still remember the pail pouring it over my head how old were you oh the first time we were there I was seven then we went back at least five more times seven ten so I you know as, as I was getting older and again you just went with the flow you know when visiting my mom's friends it'll be like oh so's next door and you go into this hut there was dirt there's a rooster and they're playing cards. And I remember my aunt saying, you're not used to this. And I said, "I this is different, you know, sitting. I'm like, oh, there's no carpet. There's not even hardwood floors. It's dirt. It's dirt. Literally. Yeah. It's dirt. Yeah. 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 But you just roll with it. I love that
0: you're so positive, though. And I have to say, I've known you a little while now. And I've never known you to, to be grumpy or negative or, you know, sit and talk about people or You know, just say negative things. You know, we all know people like that. Yeah, yeah. never known you to do that ever. Oh well, I,
1: I don't know. It's I guess maybe it's just upbringing. I like it. Uh, Was it Eleanor Roosevelt? You know, um, small people talk about small things, and big people talk about bigger things, theories, and you know, events. Yes, yes. So that's. I love that. I've seen that. Yeah. So we've always done that, and I'm also a big believer of karma. I don't like saying bad things about people because it'll come right, I feel like it will come right back to you. And oftentimes, yeah. you know, clients will come to us and want us to reveal uh, review plans that were probably done from other attorneys. I never, never will talk badly about them. Because honestly, in one sense, I wasn't there at the consultation. I wasn't there when information was exchanged. So maybe there's two sides to every story. Maybe not all the information was provided to that attorney. So that's why they created the plan the way they did. Um, or, or whatever, but I just feel like, yeah. So then if you're asking my opinion today, today, this plan will not work. And I'll never say, cause that was a piece of crap. Yeah. It, I'll well, never, ever, too. never, ever, ever. No. And I, cause I just believe in karma. That's it. Yeah. You know, I really sincerely see that happening. You know, when it comes back and it comes back terribly. So
0: I, I agree with that. And I think if you're, if you are negative, you know, one time, you're probably negative a lot. Mm -hmm. And I think putting that out into the universe, it does sort of, it. it, that's what you attract, too. So yeah, that's a good point. So we got a little ahead of ourselves. So the economics thing didn't work out. And then you had this interest in going to law school, yeah. so you pursued law school.
1: And where did you go? I went to Toro Law, which is a school out in Strong Island that they always say. Law. Strong I'm Island, New York. And you know, one of the bigger things, the reasons why I was really pursuing law, and that was, and quite frankly, uh, it's something that happened in our family that. Some people know, not many people know, but I do remember I was about, it stuck with me about 12 years old and I was going, you know, as kids, you just go through your parents' stuff for whatever reason. And I saw an old newspaper clipping with the picture of my father on the front page. And I said, why is that photo here? And my mom said, oh, that's when we had the lawsuit and apparently he was involved with a suit where there was an allegation of discrimination and long story short, we prevailed. Um, and I always remembered that my father was offered part of the settlement was that the other side was supposed to pay all its attorney fees and he declined. He said, Nope, I don't want to owe anybody anything. We'll pay. And at that time it was a lot of money, 1977 and they did it. But I remember the days going to an attorney's office out in West Orange my brother and I sitting on the steps because they were doing depositions. i we there for hours. I remember seeing the sun go down. But we felt something important was happening. And we were so quiet. I do remember that just sitting there quiet. And my mom kept coming out saying, you guys are really good. We're almost done. But it was such a long day. But we were like, okay. And we just sat there on the steps in West Orange. Uh, and then when I realized what that was, you're piecing together all these memories. Yeah. I remember attorneys coming to the house and uh, our living room and spreading out all their papers and we would take a peek and see what's going on. And I love that this was their support team. This was their team who really helped us, you know, and and I love that my father to this day doesn't hold a grudge. He doesn't talk about it. And he never did unless I discovered it. And I just felt that's the right thing to do. That's the way you carry it out. You, you If something wrong is happening, there's an order to things. Uh, you align yourself with the right people. Uh, but then there's still keeping your dignity, still keeping respectful. I've always, always admired that with my parents that they've never gone to that side where they could have been rude and gone to a certain level, tit for tat, never, ever. So I've always carried myself that way, if I can, if I can.
0: (laughs) It sounds like you had really wonderful
1: role models. Yeah, 100%, 100%, yeah, no doubt. Did you have grandparents with you too in the house? So no, so that was the one thing that I've always felt a little sad about my um, parents, uh, the, my grandparents were in the Philippines. So as much as we would visit them, my grandfather on my mom's side died when my mom was very young. So I never met him. Um, my grandfather also died when I was 10. So I had my grandmothers, but they, they all died very early and they were in the Philippines. So we didn't have those strong relationships that um, my parents have now with my kids. And I love that. I uh-huh. love the learning that they're having, the just It's just a whole different level of relationship, a whole different level of love that you see. Yeah. And are they learning about your culture too? Not as much as they like. They know bad words. (laughs) I don't know. So they know more Dutch than Filipino. My husband's Dutch. So, and it's always funny about that because my mom always says, I don't know have the bad words. I go, I don't know. How are you talking to them?
0: (laughs) Yeah, right. What are you saying to them? Yes, exactly. (laughs) Okay. So what did you think that you wanted to do with your law degree?
1: So... All I knew is that I loved to help those who couldn't help themselves. So after graduating, uh, I worked for a solo practitioner and she really threw me to the fire, which in a good way, I mean, if I had to do a bankruptcy, did the bankruptcy. I had to do family law, did family law. I did a little bit of everything at the time, quite honestly, I hated it. And I thought, I feel like I'm not learning. Hated the process. I felt like I was switching gears so much, and I really felt that, why can't we stick to one subject and let me learn? And Chris, you got to go to court. I remember when I passed the bar, and it was on a Thursday, and I was so excited. My mom calls. It was so funny. She's like, I got an envelope here. It's really thick, and you passed the bar. And I, and, my, <laughs> and I hear her screaming. I couldn't really, go, I I passed the bar. And she goes, I'm looking in the envelope and all it says is we are pleased. And she goes, they wouldn't say that. And I'm like laughing and I'm like, all right. So at the time, a boss said, all right, you can go home and tomorrow you go to court. There was a motion. And I'm like, yeah, huh? Well, you weren't (laughs) even sworn in yet. (laughs) And she put me right in. She put me right in. So I went there and I remember just so nervous. And uh, but there wasn't much happening there. It was just on the papers, if anything. But the judge was so nice. And then that was it. But I remember that feeling where I'm like, okay, every time I'm switching gears, switching gears. But till this day, I do thank her for that experience because when people come to me with something I haven't done, my first reaction is I have never done that. I'm always like, let me figure that out because there has to be a way to help you. And if it really gets to the point where I can't, then we'll refer it to someone who, you know, if it's really like beyond my level or it's going to take too much time for me to catch up. Sure. We got to get to someone who does this a lot, but Uh, Through the firms I've worked, I've always been known as a switch hitter. Christine will handle it. I always said yes. I rarely would say no. Someone, hey, Chris, there's a juvie issue going on. Can you go to juvenile court? Yeah. Oh, you know what? There's an expungement going on. Can you do the expungement? Yes. Can you? Anything. There's an appeal. Can you handle the appeal? Yes. Uh, I would never say no, just because I wanted the experience. But it wasn't in my nature to say no. I'm like, no, I can't. Now, I'll figure it out. So that was your first job out of law school. Yeah, it was a solo practitioner. I worked for her about a year, and then I w- switched to a insurance defense firm because I said, "Well, I want to do more litigation. I want to learn about that." So we were doing a lot of depositions, interrogations. So that's how I learned about the whole civil procedure um, situation there, and that was very interesting. And that was great to a point. And then I switched to a bigger firm, which was um, their main office was in Cherry Hill. I was in their satellite office in Northfield, which seems to be a misnomer because it's down in Atlantic City. So it's really south. And that's where I did a lot of family law and where I realized I don't like family law. I really did. God bless the family bar. I admire them because I realize I'm not built for that. I'm more of a mediator. Yeah, I'm more of a... Why can't we get along, you know? um, Let's all get along. (laughs) Yes. And so, yeah, family law was uh, challenging for me. It wasn't my personality. Uh, But what was nice, they did allow me to do other things, estate planning, uh, real estate. And so that's why I realized that I I really enjoyed that aspect of planning. Uh, And then what happened was with this firm, I don't even know if I should name them. So it turned out that someone was stealing from the firm. So I remember walking in, uh, with, in the conference room, one of the partners said, we have a meeting. It was May 1st. And he goes, so listen, everybody, we're closing our doors in 30 days. And good luck. And I remember being shocked about that. And we were all crying because I really loved our office. And we all got along. But it was, we're like, what happened? And apparently, uh, the controller of the firm had two books. So he was
0: doing oh what he God. wanted for
1: his. So he's, he was in federal prison. I don't know if he's out anymore. Uh, so the firm just folded And at that point, I didn't know what to do. And I remember my parents were on vacation. I kept calling them every day. I go, oh my God, mom, they are folding. They're gone. I won't have a job in 30 days. What should I do? What should I do? My father has always been a big proponent of having your own business because I think he did it with his practice and he's always hated having a boss. He always told me that ever growing up, don't have a boss, hate having a boss. So his first reaction, great, open your office. I'm like I guess like I do that. opportunity, yeah. And I kept saying, nah, no, 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 I don't think so. And I kept thinking that for like a couple of weeks. I am like, what am I going to do? Okay, now I only have two weeks left. Now what am I going to do? Um, Why? Where, what was your reluctance to open your own firm? I think there was that fear of the unknown. Like, how is this ever going to put together? Um, where am I going to? You just theoretically think: Is there? How much do I need more money to set this up? Where would I go? Do I set set up in Tom's River, Northfield? Will I have clients? You know, it's all those questions that you feel, why, how can this work? Because there's no plan. You just well, like Do it. Yeah, there's and no plus plan. you weren't even thinking about it. No, no, when it just happens. And I'll be honest with you, now and then I played with the idea, Chris, I, that it would be nice to open, but no, no, no. Yeah. So what happened was I, there was another firm that branched off and they said, you can work with us. So I immediately said yes. Uh, and it wasn't a fit. I only was there probably four months, and that's why I'm like, okay, this is not working. I can't, you know. They were very nice people, but I, it wasn't my cup of tea. So I decided, I'm doing it. I'm opening up my firm. So I did it in Tom River, and I, I never looked back. But I tell you, uh, I feel so. This is me talking again. How I'm, I'm religious, but uh, you know, the universe. Mm-hmm. I think to me that the universe was saying, okay, you've always idea of having your own firm so I'm just gonna force you out yeah I'm gonna create these situations that you really you have to do it and so I because I feel like if those things didn't happen I would be working for a firm till this day I know that there's no because there's no other reason for me to have decided to open up my firm there was no because I was comfortable. It was yeah. fine. It was
0: fine. I've heard uh, similar stories where something like that happened, where your back was pressed up against the wall and you had you had no choice really, but to open your firm. And I think, I think it happens for a reason. It happens because it's supposed to, because
1: it's time. It's just right. Right. I mean, probably I couldn't join another firm, but there was that knowing,
0: I can uh-huh. think all
1: these arrows are pointing to it. Let's just do it. And I remember my dad saying, what's the worst that could happen? Honestly, what's the worst? didn't work go join a firm I'm like right actually that's absolutely right so yeah so we did it didn't uh yeah so on my own so I've been practicing 25 years but on my own 15 so yeah so so did I love it every time no they're challenging moments but I honestly would never go back I can't go back I, I mean doing what I'm doing now helping the people I'm helping Yeah, I I don't think I would ever change that.
0: So when you first started out, you had to rent an office. Yes. Was it just
1: you or did you have any staff? Nope, just me. And it was a a room that I'm going to tell you is smaller than what we're sitting in now. And it was me taking my home computer, my home Apple computer, bringing it in this office. And my husband putting together a desk that we found at Staples. And that was the time when Staples had furniture that you can actually select yes. online, bring it. And I remember it was so hot in that office. I remember him sweating and just putting, we put the, and I said, here we go. And I said, oh, I need a phone. So I had one phone, one computer. I'm like, I'm open for business. This is it. It was me. And then you sat there and waited for the phone to ring. Yes, exactly. <laughs> but enough? you know what? I have to say, wherever I had worked, I've always been very grateful for the people who sought me out. Um. Quite honestly, it was around just friends, people knowing. I'm a lawyer. Oh, Chris, can you help me with this? Help me with that. And then word would spread. Oh, Christine will help you. So when I was switching firms, uh, I was told the rule was I really wasn't permitted to send a letter to the client saying that I'm moving. Like you had to just drop and go because it was going to be some type of solicitation. That you can they would notify the clients and say that Miss is no longer here and that her files be taken over so and so. So when all the clients got that letter, the well, who was going to take care of it? The firm didn't exist anymore. So yeah, well, that was the weirdest thing. And so of course the clients were just, well, we're just going with you because we don't even know the name of the firm. We know you, so we'll go with you. I'm like, okay. So I opened up the firm and I remember having at least five files that I had with me. And I'm like, okay, this is a good start. And me was just calling. I remember visiting the lawyers here in Tom's River and they're all, I love the Ocean County Bar. Uh, we're all very supportive of each other. And I remember particularly uh, an attorney I stopped by, I didn't even make an appointment. And he was so kind. I just, Hey, I'm just letting you know, I opened my office. He was so excited for me. The next day he sent me a client. And again, at that time I was doing what they call door law, whatever you think I'm going to do, do. And it was a traffic ticket. And I remember the, the two guys who came in and I was so nervous, Chris. I mean, I've done consultation for, but for some reason, oh, this is for me. This is my client. This is a new client. Doesn't even know me. I remember I couldn't even think. I couldn't even think what to do, but yeah, they hired me. I was so excited. But I remember write I couldn't even write notes. I was like, why am I nervous? Wow. Why am I nervous? Yeah. I guess but he got over I that. But that was my plan. I visited all the attorneys in town, as many as I could, knocked on the door and just told them, I'm I'm here and you know, I'm happy to help per diem. whatever you think you need help with, I'm happy to help with. Um, there was a title company in town that was so kind, they made my business cards, and they created the announcements. All I had to do was mail them. So nice. Was, that's why I'm so grateful for people I've met. They're, and so one of the secretaries in my old firm heard I opened the, um, my office. So she volunteered for one whole month not to be paid to answer my phone because she says, you got to sound professional. You shouldn't answer your own phone. And for what so for, till this day her and her family, if they ever ask anything for me, Marianne, I never charge and that she's probably gonna be so embarrassed. Don't say that. But no, I I was so grateful that she came in religiously as if it was her full time job. That's so nice. Who does that? No, you're right. And i that's why I just feel I believe in karma. I do,
0: it but again, like, you know, not to sound all woo woo, but it's the universe giving you what you need.
1: Yes. So true. That's it's right. That's That's really, so really true. Fun. I love that. So it was about, I'm, I remember I opened my doors uh, November 2003. And it was by March, I hired my first employee part time, because I said, let's, let's do it. And uh, she didn't even have a computer. She didn't even have a, she had a phone. I remember that. Uh, she was wonderful. And it was so, I was so grateful for her, but she only did part-time in the beginning. And I remember it was so quiet, I would give her magazines to read. I was like, here, here's some magazines from home just to be busy, you know. So you
0: weren't thinking, she's not, I don't have enough
1: work for her. I need to fire her. No, no. In my mind, uh, my role was I wanted at least another body to answer the phone. That was my role because I didn't want to answer my own phone. I just thought it was much better to have someone else. So that was her my role. And then slowly, part-time turned into full. And then eventually, I guess I need to get you a computer.
0: <laughs> so so what you're saying is, is people started coming to your firm in droves, and then you got rich and lived happily ever after. Amen, that's it. <laughs> End of interview. Bye-bye. Yep, that's how it happened. So what else did you do to drum up business?
1: Uh, a, well, a lot of it was just old school, Chris. Again, Visiting people. Networking. Calling people. Yeah, networking. And you know what? And I at the time, I didn't do as much as I, I'm doing now because I get tired. And I remember yeah. saying to my husband at one point, I know I should go to these events. I shouldn't meet these people. I don't, didn't want to. And I don't know, maybe the drive wasn't there, but it was me and my introverted self. Because you get tired meeting people yeah. and you get tired and then you go home. And at the time, we didn't have kids. So... I kept thinking, oh, you don't know tired. Now that I look at myself. Yeah. Oh, yeah, you don't know tired. Um, so, but I would force myself go to bar events, be helpful. I volunteered that uh, volunteered, but you were um, to become a pool attorney with the um, so any overflow of the, at the time typhus Right now, it's called DCB, Yeah, I don't even know at the time. So, I would do those files. You know, anything, and even get my foot in the door just to get busy uh, and. Uh, title company said, Well, we need a closer. Can you go to people's homes and close? Yep, yep, yep. Y- y- you hustle. You just say yes. I, I, it sounds funny, but just being friendly to people and just, just being be nice. That's it. And just being sincere and not being like, I'm a, I'm a lawyer. Hi, crazy man. i a lawyer. Here's my car. No, no, no. It was all about just listening. And I can't tell how many times people would, would chit chat. And then later on, I'm like, Oh, by the way, what do you do? And I'll say lawyer. And I don't know what it means, but they'd be like, No, you're not a lawyer. Know, like, yeah. why people say that right, yeah, and I always think, well, What do you think? I am? And, and they have this, you know, people watch TV, like, ah, You're not obnoxious, you're not, and it was just so sad because if that's what they think you are, because there's so many unobnoxious uh, attorney colleagues that we have that are yeah. just opposite, I can probably name the ones that we think are obnoxious rather than the opposite, right? I mean, more people than to me in my Area. it's well, are much nicer. I
0: mean, I think in what I do, divorce law, that's sort of expected sometimes by our clients, the ones that really want the hotly litigated matter, and they 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 want you to do that. They sort of expect it, and I think there is an, a perception by the public that that's what we do. Mm-hmm. That we're aggressive, we're overly aggressive, and we're mean, and you know, everything's fighting and adversarial. And that's not necessarily the case, right? It doesn't guess, have to be.
1: And I guess in your sense, you, because you become an extension of your client. The client, you're their, you're their voice. So when they're aggravated and when they feel blind, they want to say something, but it's, it ha- they want it to come yeah. from you. Like, be your voice.
0: Be well, out there. they're emotional and they don't have a filter, but we're supposed to be their filter and we're supposed to represent their interests. So sometimes what they, their compulsion is to do is really against their interest, right? So we have to sort of convince them, maybe that's not the best way to handle this. Right. And I guess you deal with that maybe less, but you do a state litigation, we right? Do. We do a
1: handful, not a lot, you know, because, you know, we pick and choose what we deal with. But you're right. When it does get contested, all of a sudden, I feel like these shades of family law, like, oh, we're fighting over the pots and pans, just like family law, you know, and And it's really our job, right, to bring them back to failure. Okay, let's get perspective on this. But it's also, I've always felt, be respectful, because I I totally am not in their shoes. So that pot, that pen, really has whatever meaning it is to them. So I will respect that, but also give them perspective that you might be able to buy a new one. it's not about the pen. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, because I don't think it's useful to set them aside very quickly and say, yeah. That's not important. Let's, you know, I need. I know they need to be heard, but then we need to pull them back in. Pull yeah. them
0: back in. I think what I what I see from divorce because there's there are some similarities there is. Oh yes, I can get another pen, but why does she get the pen? Why does she get to keep the pen? Why is it always me who has to give up? something? She's winning. I'm losing. Yeah, that's
1: really a boom. Yes, that's, that's, that's it. And, you know, and then my lecture. everybody's losing. everybody's, you know, and, but, you know, that gets old
0: too, you know. Sometimes I think we all like, just revert to kindergartners. <laughs> you know, it's the same thing. Yeah. You know, you said it first, you did it first, you know, it was your idea. Yes. <laughs> we all hear that, right? Exactly. Even out of adults' mouths.
1: Yes. But, you know, that's challenging. And, you know, starting out as pure solo, it's that is hard. It's, it was so easy for me to internalize, you know, and I was very grateful to have uh, Tiffany. She was my first employee and we would talk about things and she really learned. She was excellent, you know, and then, you know, but as we start to grow, you start to find out like, okay, so we need more people, you know, and, but those are, those are like leaps of faith, you know, then then we hired another part-time to help, you know, and and it really, you can see, okay, we're getting a process here. We're getting, we're getting some ideas and how we can grow, but yet I was still thinking, you know, like, okay, I guess this is the most we can do, you know, because I really wasn't doing as much marketing as, as I should be doing or as I'm doing today. And I always think I could be doing more, but, uh, at the time, you know, it was just old school. I call it grassroots marketing, which is me shaking hands, meeting people, going to the bar events, getting to know people, you know, really very old fashioned. There was no at the time, social media. It's nothing like that. Yeah.
0: Well, more and more I hear that's really the most effective way to do it because even those people that come into your office, they're
1: more likely to retain you yeah. than someone who just found you on the internet. So true. So true. Yeah, so true. And it is nice to know that when they do come in, you connect and you know, you start to pick up as you you know do more of this, what are their other interests? What are their other things that would make their life easier? Because if you just come in with the role of service- that's that's golden. That's just a wonderful feeling for us and a great feeling for them. Right. Because they feel like like she'll take care of it. She'll figure it out, you know, or I just know it's someone I can talk to. Yeah, you know? mm-hmm. And I and I love. But, you know, I always remind myself I am not to get right. What they told us, get love from our client, get that's respect. Right. We're supposed to give it. We have to give that security, give that love. But, you know, sometimes we fall into our old ways. Like, did, was he mad at me when I read that email? Is that in caps instead of me? you know instead of being like I think they're just talking and taking it as it is you know there's no other reason why they should be irritated
0: yeah definitely I think a hard part as a young attorney and you sort of eventually hopefully grow out of it is you care too much what the client thinks of you personally and you take it personally if you don't get the right result in court oh yeah which we know you can do everything right, and you still don't get the right result, or at least what you think is the right result, and and you
1: almost feel bad yeah. for the client, like you failed them, that so, there was something you did to so failed them. And I think that was the heaviness I had early on doing family law, where things would just happen. Oh, I'm supposed to reduce this child support. Oh, and then the number isn't as maybe it's reduced, but not that much. And they're just like, that's it. Yeah. You and, told me that, you know, this should have turned out differently. Yeah. And you just feel and you feel bad because yeah. you're right. You you attach your efforts to this personal feeling, that how they think of you as a person, and it has nothing to do with it. And I remember reading a book where they had said that and it may have been in that four agreements that you know everyone likes to talk about. Yeah. Um, that it's only true if you believe it. So if you don't believe sure. it. And I always have that example if I was walking down the street and someone yelled like, yeah, hey, you're a banana." I would laugh and like, "Yeah. I'm not going back like, do I look yellow? Do I am I walking like a banana? Oh my god, I must look like a banana." You know, and that's where it would affect you. But if I always think of like, "Okay, they're just calling me a banana." That's you know? really true. That's really true because if you think that what they're saying
0: is true, then it will bother you. Mhm. Yeah. But if you can detach from it and say, well, you know, okay, I guess it's a little different when they're calling you a banana, you know, you're not a banana. But when they're saying, you know, you're a bad lawyer, or you right. lied to me, or, you know, you didn't do X, Y, and Z, and you sometimes you do step back and think, well, is that true? Right. I mean,
1: maybe I should have done that. Yeah, sometime, maybe I should have. And that's me. That's my That's my sore spot. I'm yeah. always insecure. And I'm trying to learn to be more confident. And like you said, a lot of the issues are on the other person, whether it's a client or whoever, you know, when things are said to you, it typically is not you, right? Yeah. But you know, as we talk yes. about it, nice in this nice room, it makes so much sense. Crystal. Yes. And the hidden moment, you're like, that's so true. And I can't sleep. And I talk about it with my husband. I'm like, oh my God, they said this. And I'm like ch- tight chested. And I'm like, I can't sleep. I'm like, that was so mean. And, and but that's like- an emotional reaction.
0: True. That's not even not that's not that's an intellectual reaction. Good point. You're right. So your intellect, we're we're exercising our intellect right now, right? We're not emotional because we're not even talking about any specific example. I, I think that's a good point. You have to sort of separate it. Yeah. You have to catch yourself going down that rabbit hole. Yeah. And then say, okay, I
1: need to Yeah, and, and like I said, still learning, but I'm so much better now than you know back in nineteen in two thousand three oh, yeah. when you know I took on a case. I'm like, Oh my gosh, this is not gonna be the way I thought it's gonna go. And and to get called the client in and have that meeting, and I just want to throw up because I'm like, Oh, they're gonna be so mad or or just sad, yeah. you know, and even if everything worked well, and there's like no, we know you did your best, Chris. And I go home crying, like, oh, it was terrible. I remember I handled one file. It was a juvie case. It was a rape case. And it was very heavy. And my client um, was found guilty. And I remember where I had to um, cross-examine the victim. And that was very hard because I wanted to be respectful. And I, you know, in the back of your mind, you're thinking, because these are kids, 215 15 15-year-olds. So we'll never know really what happened. But um, you know, it, and I wanted to be so respectful for her and it was sickening, um, doing the examination, but I wasn't rude. I just couldn't, I couldn't do it. And he was found guilty. I, I thought I did the best. The mom was very upset. So now he's you know, under Megan's law at the time and it was tough. And I remember going home, just sobbing, sobbing, sobbing. And I said, I don't want to do this anymore. I don't want to do this area of law anymore. It was, that was so hard. That was so hard. And that was the first time I just felt like I really let someone down. But I, when I looked at what I had, And I was so nice that night. I went to one of the local bars here with a friend. We finished on a Friday, and the prosecutor was there. And he came up to me, and he said, was that your first like trial hearing? I go, yes. And he goes, you did awesome. And he was teasing me. He goes, you did great. And I said, and even the judge said it, which was so great. But I am I could feel the tears that she was giving her. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, oh, it's not working, you know. And, and he was so gracious. And he told me, because I had my little trial notebook. He goes, oh, my God. You walked in. I was like, oh, she's ready. <laughs> I was like, oh, yeah. I had my old tab <laughs> <color-colored>, <laughs> color-coded. But that was hard. And I carried that. For at least, at least a year in my head, like in my heart. Every time I yeah. met a client, I'm like, I don't know. What to but do. you were a young attorney at the time. Oh, my right? God. It was like, I think, so what, I passed the bar in 95. It was between 95 and 96. Can you well, believe it? Not even at, yeah. oh. well, some, you know what I have learned,
0: too, over the years is that you really, like we said, you can't take it
1: personally. Um, I just completely lost my train of thought. Well, you know, you can't take it personally, but in the big picture, you learn from it. You have to learn from it, right? And I feel like every experience... Yeah, makes I, I remembered my thought.
0: I've learned that you do have to remember that whatever situation your client is in, you did not put them there. They're, whatever they have done, right or wrong, whatever decisions they've made, which whatever actions they've taken...
1: That's what got them where they are. So, so it's true. not your fault. So, so true. And that's, that's great. That's, that's actually very good to keep reminding ourselves, right? Because it's so easy because we get involved with these files. Yeah. You're, we're not involved for a day, months, months involved with people's lives, knowing a lot more about them than you, yes, you know. Than you and, care uh, to know. Yeah. And, and when you do that, you, you can't help but be invested and you're right. And to keep reminding yourself to, to separate, to separate that, okay, you came to us. This was already happening, you know, and we're trying to make it better, you know, some way, somehow, but. Sometimes better still isn't good, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. We do the best we can. We can, that's exactly right. You're right, that's exactly right. But yeah, so during the years, yeah, you keep learning. You keep learning, I'm still learning. You know, I think that's been one of my, issues where um I, I still am very, very respectful of the other side and to a point where I'm like, okay, you know, I gotta let it go. I, I gotta let it go because it's not my deal. I'm doing the best I can. And that's it. You know, but I, I'm much better than I was years ago. That's for sure. yes, I think that's just maturity and professional maturity. Yes. Yes. And and yeah getting confidence, right? When you look back of everything you've done, like for me, wow, twenty five years, these are the type of cases I handled. These were the tricky situations that we've Here we are, we're we're past it. So that's something to remind yourself of that, look, look at that, I got past it. And even for a young lawyer, Every day, every challenging situation, now that's a nice little thing in your back pocket that I got through that. And yeah. this is what I learned, yeah. you know, but it's hard. <laughs> look back, don't don't always
0: focus on the road ahead. I know they always say that don't look back, but sometimes I think you do need to look back
1: to see how far you've come and yeah. to really give yourself some credit for that. I believe that so much, because, you know, as, as we try to think we're advancing and trying to do better, but it's nice to see like, you know, look where I was. This kind of problem would have broke me two, three years ago. But today I'm like, all right, we'll figure this out. I I think especially women, too, are
0: not always good about giving themselves credit for all of their accomplishments. Oh,
1: yeah. Oh, for sure. Right. Because, well, we're the nurturers. We're we're supposed to put others first before ourselves, you know, and I love this self-care movement that's been happening because it's right. Don't be ashamed. I want that massage. I want to relax. I want to do my thing. You know, there's there's no not even being selfish. It's just you have to take care of yourself that that's, you know, to ignore that is just then throwing away everything you've been working hard for. Absolutely. Yeah. But yeah. Why work so hard if you get, don't get to
0: enjoy it at some point. So at some point you did coaching and I know because I know you, I know some, we've talked about some of this already, but share with our listeners what coaching
1: you've done. Yeah. So, you know, I remember back in, I think it was in 2014, where it was late at night and I was getting a little frustrated with the firm, right? Because you're working to a certain point and you keep thinking like, is this it? Can it get any better? Like, I don't know. I feel like I could be doing more, but I have no direction. I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. And, you know, again, I was working in the firm. I was, I always felt, oh, I'm a practicing lawyer. I would never thought myself, I'm a business owner. That was never a thought in my head ever and so I kept thinking, how are you going to do this? If I have to do the work, why aren't more people calling? Why can't I help more people? And I would hear people in need. I'm like, why don't they know about me? So one night I'm surfing the web and I came across um, these videos made by our John Robbins, the how to manage a law firm coach And, you know, it struck me because I, I blew through, I don't know how many. And he had all these, they were just from a handheld camera. But what struck me is that the message was that you can do better. There are systems that you should have in place. And without these systems, you're not going to do any better. And I kept thinking, what systems are these? What? And then he started saying, "You're a he did say, you're a business owner. Think this is a business. And I remember hearing that. and I kept thinking, that is true. This is a business.
0: It's and- amazing how many attorneys, even people that have been practicing for like 30 or 40 years, don't really
1: see themselves as business owners. Right. And there's nothing wrong with it. You know, I love being an attorney. But but you it, are running a business. You are. And you have to respect that. And yeah. there's ways to do it. So I remember John would always ask in some of his um, quarterly meetings, how many people have been on my newsletter list? How long was it before you made a comment? Me, on the spot. I'm like, boom. I said, yeah, there was a, um, at the time he called it, it wasn't called Discovery Day, but, you know, it was like one of the intro days that you would go. And it was in Philadelphia. So I remember to my husband. I was like, let's try this hour and a half away. Let's just drive. Let's go to it. Went there. And I remember as we were driving, my husband was saying, I hope this is not a scam. I said, well, you're with me. So I said, we'll see what happens. You know, uh, so many people that coaches are scammers. And, I hear that so much. And you feel bad to say that, but because you just kept thinking like, I don't know what, to, and I didn't know what to expect except that I wanted help. I wanted the help. So it was on a Wednesday night. I put in, you know, I said, yeah, I want to show up and it was like, okay, see you Friday. And we showed up and I met at the time, Kristen David was still there. So she's one of the coaches and she was so welcoming, showed us around. Um, some of the good friends that we still know today at Claire Colorado, She was there. She was still a law student when she joined. That was really, yes, yeah, Claire Corrado. I think she's over in Illinois. Is she somewhere? The immigration lawyer. I don't think I know her. Oh, wonderful. Wonderful. So she tell us how she loved the group. And I'll tell you, we were so excited. So I love the message that they were telling us that there's better ways to do things. There's more ways so you can help more people. That was the message I got, that I can help more people by implementing these new techniques, these new rules, these new procedures. Because I kept thinking there's a limit how I can help. I just kept thinking, I can't possibly imagine helping more people. I'd like to, but how? because I had no plan. There was no plan in place. So ever since then, I followed it. I did what they said, you know, whatever they told me and so we started to grow. We started to see the difference. So it and I I'm going to tell you like between 2014 20 within a year we grew, I'm going to tell you, like 35%. Then after that, it like went to 100% and then wow. yeah, it was really big and then I think it was from the day we started to 2017 it was almost like 190 96 percent growth that we grew and I love that because I mean, that means I was just so many more people were able to help you know I've always felt that if I can grow to a certain point I can help more people do more good do more pro bono because you know if you're hurting too and you're in really Not making it. It's hard to do pro bono. You want to, but you know, you You can't. You can't, you know, and it's difficult, but now we can do more. We really can. But, you know, we're now focusing on the things that we really love doing, which I I enjoy so much. You know, I love the estate planning. Um, And, you know, our niche is with the special needs community. You know, a lot of it is because personally, I have two kids, um, two great kids, and my youngest was born with Down syndrome. So that's where I decided to dedicate a large portion of our practice to helping those families. That's it. And I love love it. You really
0: can understand from your own personal experience a little better.
1: Yeah. And, you know, the things that I want to know, whatever I have to find out, I share it immediately with the family. It's like, well, this is neat. This is really something to know. So we have our own little web page, uh, Facebook page. Um, it's called the Special Needs Resource Page. And, you know, any new law that I know, any, any information I know, Therapists, and I also ask for recommendations. It's nice learning from the parents, especially those who have older children, adult children. I love to hear how they got through things or ideas to help, you know, and that's what I like to share with my families, you know, and to me, that's why I love it. I just love. Love that area of law. I really do.
0: I think it really comes through with just from the way you're speaking today and your marketing. If you look at your website and your social media platforms, I think it's really apparent that it's very authentic and you really are trying to provide a service to the community.
1: And I'll tell you where that came out from. Uh, it was again during my first mastermind with John, and he. We were going around the table and he was telling me about the family. And then he asked me what kind of law. And I said, I, I honestly couldn't think of what law I wanted to focus on because I was doing door law at the time. Oh, still? Yeah. 2013. Well, that wasn't even that long ago. Nope, nope, nope. And that's when he said, tell me about your family. And then he said, why don't you focus on helping?" things, sp- but I mean, you know, why don't, and I kept saying, oh, no, 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 I didn't, I didn't want to bring in my personal life. I felt like, no, 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 that's, that's private. you know." And I fought it. And then I remember at the end of the mastermind thinking, that's actually a good idea where I can help more people. I don't have to tell them about myself, but I'll just focus on that. And that's a big piece that why you're doing it. Like people want to know why, not that you just picked this area of law for the heck of it. And so I slowly would share with people and it felt really good to talk about. Why do you think you were holding back on that? I think there's that whole big privacy thing, you know, it's like, oh, people don't have to know everything about me and why and I would never have thought mixing personal with professional I honestly never saw the connection never thought of it until he mentioned it and then I don't know if you're familiar with Suzanne Evans yes she always says like make your mess your message not that my children are my mess but it's just like your experience should be your message your what you're going through is your message to other people so I when I heard that I thought that is true there is a reason why these things happen and I, I I am, you know, and there's other families who would love to know what I know. And I've always said if I'm helping a family, I'm giving you what I have. That's, you know, what I have I'm giving you and and we'll grow together. You know, we'll learn together. I don't know everything, but I, yeah. I know a lot, but I know a little lot more than I did, but I'm so eager to learn because I want to know for myself. It's kind of a little selfish situation, right? Yeah. Like, oh, I want to know about that. It definitely builds trust. Did you coach with Suzanne or go to any of her events? Nope, not at all. Nope. I would do things online with her. Uh, I have one of her books or down, download her books. You know, I'm a big reader. I like reading. I like reading those things. Um, but no, that was a big thing with her, you know, and she would say, make your, mess your message. I love that. I like that. I've never heard that. I do follow her, but I haven't heard that. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. And it's true, right? And I, But I always qualify. So I'm not saying. <laughs> I can't about it. And I admire my, my oldest daughter. Uh, she really um, is such a good role model to her sister, and I appreciate that. And I, it's a big thing for me to make sure siblings are recognized in the situation. And of course, my husband—he's the biggest cheerleader supporter. I can't tell you how patient he is because there's, you know, owning a business is challenging. You know, you get crunches, cash crunches, and yes. I have to come home and complain about it. And um, you're never really off. No, you're not. I try. And when I am, I feel guilty, to be quite honest. I feel like like I don't want to think about this tonight. I just want to sleep, you know.
0: Yeah, there's always this feeling that if I'm not paying attention, something bad's going to happen. Yeah, that's exactly
1: right. Because sometimes it does. Or <laughs> <laughs> like, am I being naive? I'm being that ostrich. I'm like, I don't want to deal with this today. But you do. And, uh, you know, and I'll come home. And the issue is that like, he's not an attorney. You know, he, he's, an, he's an engineer. He works for his uh, other firm. So when you hear these issues, I know he wants to fix it. And then I'm always like, nah, it's not going to work. No, that's not right. And then I feel bad because then he's like, uh, and I was like, okay, why am I even talking? I was like, I just need to be heard at this point, you know, or I'm, I'm worried about this, that, and the other thing. Well, men always feel like they have to solve the problem, right? <laughs> Women just want someone
0: to listen. Yeah. Men are like, we have to solve this problem right now. Yeah. Why are like, you
1: telling me this? Otherwise, it's
0: just, you know. Yeah. I'm, so
1: other, why are we talking about
0: it? <laughs> exactly. Can I watch my
1: show? Uh,
0: all right. Let me pause. I do think it's helpful sometimes to talk about some of these business issues or legal issues, even though they can't understand on the same level, because they're not lawyers and their brain just works a little differently. And sometimes they see things that we're so we're not focused on or we're just focused on the wrong thing. And, and then they seem like they're coming out of left field, but
1: it really kind of helps you see it from a different perspective. No, you're right. And we had some, I, you know, whatever latest issue I had in the firm, and my husband always comes up with a very practical solution. It was so practical. I was like, no. And then, of course, I'm like, hmm, oh, that's right. And he loves it. He goes, I was actually right it actually makes sense. I go yeah, yeah, yeah. See, I was right about stuff. <laughs> no, My, he's fantastic. Yeah, fantastic. So I, I'm just very, very grateful. Very grateful. Yeah.
0: Well, on that note too, I also try to study other businesses and read books about other types of businesses to see what are other kinds of industries
1: doing that I could apply to law. That's actually a great idea, right? Because. If we keep thinking about what other law firms do, I don't think you're going to get too far because not a lot of them think of themselves as businesses. So why would we follow that? Why would we try to follow that model? You know, but I agree. I agree. I mean, I love seeing certain marketing techniques from different businesses. I'm thinking, oh, how can I apply that with our firm? You know, uh, how can I get the word out? in that way, like, oh, the way other businesses use social media, love it, love how yeah. they do that, you know, how they probably put a personal touch with it, how they put some whimsy in it, I love that, because I don't think we should take ourselves seriously, you know, we deal with serious topics, but there's a way to do it in a lighthearted, in a way that, you know, we can provide good value, you know, in a great setting, less stress, hopefully, you know. I agree, well, I'll be continuing to watch you on social media,
0: and I, like to end each interview with a set of five questions. I know you've been listening to my show, so you kind of know what they are.
1: I can see you. I just changed all of them.
0: Yeah. (laughs) I pulled a fast one on you. I (laughs) tricked you. Oh, boy. What's the best business
1: advice that you ever got? So uh, I've always, again, admired both my parents, but my dad has always said to be persistent, never give up, uh, that was something that always stuck with me because even when things aren't looking great, when things could even look bleak, you just have to keep going. You can't stop. You have to keep going one foot in front of the other. So I I encourage everyone to just keep going. You have to just not give up. That persistence is huge. It's huge to me. Like not in anything you do because it's so easy to be like, I don't think this is working. You know? yeah. and, and But to just keep putting that foot in front of the other, I think it's a big deal. And I always remind myself, still going to get up, still going to go in there. Because if things don't look great, I'm like, there's a way you can turn it around. There has to be. There is.
0: If you just sleep on it long enough, yeah. put it out of your mind for a little while and it sort of comes back in. Yeah. But I will say David Nagel always says, I'm always quoting David, David says that people don't fail. They quit.
1: Oh, I love that. That's very true. That is very true. And yeah. If you really think about it, it's true. Yeah. If you don't, that's true. That's why you just have to keep going.
0: That's right. So you could be right there on the cusp of something and you don't even know
1: it. Oh, yeah. And then you quit. Yeah. And I've always, I mean, I've seen it time again in my own practice where I feel like, oh my gosh, this seems so hard. And then there's a breakthrough where you come back and you're like, that's actually not as hard as I thought. What happened? Yeah. But you kept persisting.
0: Well, it's easy when you're looking back on it, right? Yeah. A great book that exemplifies this is Shoe Dog. Oh, okay. um, I cannot remember the guys. The guy who owns Nike, Phil Phil Knight. Yeah, yes, that's right. I, have you read that book? No, I have not. That's such a great book, and read it okay. because if, every entrepreneur should read that book because Nike was I don't want to say failing but wasn't doing well for many 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 years like I want to say maybe even up to 10 years where he wasn't really making a lot of money and he just it was his passion he wasn't going to give up and now look at it now yeah. look at Nike exactly so exactly right persistence yeah just imagine if he would have given up We wouldn't have Nike so what's the best life advice that you ever got
1: uh, again, for my dad, so funny, so coming back to him, uh, just do the right thing, no matter what. And I remember him telling me, the more uncomfortable you feel the decision is, the more likely it's the right thing. Because the easy decisions, the decisions that are just easy to put away, those are typically the wrong, wrong decisions. So whenever I have the choice to say, should I do A or B, I really don't want to do A. It makes me feel like I think I have to do it. I have to do it because it's not it's uncomfortable and you know i want the easy way out now then and i've always did, did that anytime i felt something was uncomfortable it made me think it's probably more likely i have to do this you know yeah. because the easy way is not to do anything let things float keep doing what you're no doing change. no change yeah and you know then that's not right i've always yeah. thought that oh, yeah that's interesting i have to start thinking about that more oh,
0: I know. damn I'm, you christine <laughs> Well, I guess I know the answer to this one. What person do you most admire and yeah.
1: why? I, I love, yeah, both my parents, but my dad, uh, he is this quiet steel strength. Uh, when anyone meets him, he's very quiet, is uh, very polite, very respectful, but he is tough. He's a tough guy, and my husband even says, "Your dad." He doesn't say much, but when he does, it's always like whoa, it's like profound, and he's very funny. Um, but also if he's very concerned about something, you just, you listen because he doesn't say much and you're just like, Oh okay, that's important. You know, this is important. This. Something big is coming. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So I, I really respect that. And he is tough. He is a tough guy. He'll all these things that he would go through he would tell us and you would never see it. I guess that's where I get the positiveness. You know, you would never see it. And he'll tell me he'll like, Oh yeah, that was hard. He did this, that. And my husband, I was looking at you. Oh my gosh, that was tough. He has this one story. Uh, it was in the Philippines, and the Japanese took over his village, and uh, someone stole a chicken. So the Japanese were so upset, so they gathered all the men and the kids and just said, I'm going to shoot everybody if you don't tell me where the chicken is. And my dad telling the story, just like, so casually. yeah, and almost smiling. So we're, I'm like, is this real? And we've heard the story countless times. And out of blue, a chicken just fell. And so the Japanese just like, fine, you're spared. But, and you know, hell, just like, like out of someone the sky? just like threw it in the middle of the crowd, you know. So Ed but when my dad tells him, I'm like, what? He goes, yeah, I was with my dad and the guy was with a machine gun. He was seven. And then next to his tut, he said also the Japanese would torture people. There was a school next door. He would hear the screams and whatnot at night. And he said they would sometimes he would peek, and he would see these people hanging by their toes, being, you know, abused. And but yet, when you see my dad, he's a stoic figure, and really nothing it, to him. Always doing the good thing, always doing the right thing. Um, so I admire that. But you know, he'll tell these stories. You're like, he <sighs> you should write a book. Oh, yeah. My brother and I have always mentioned that we need to get to at least an oral history about this, you know.
0: Yeah. Well, I know someone who has a podcast who could interview him. Oh, great idea. <laughs> I've actually been thinking of doing that as interviewing people's family members for them so they can preserve the stories. That,
1: that would be beautiful. beautiful. Yeah, because, I mean, you know, when my family in the Philippines are in World War II, they have last story my aunt in New York. uh, She's the oldest. uh, She was the first to come to America. I mean, this woman on her own decided to go to college. She's brilliant. Comes to America on her own. But, you know, prior to that in the Philippines, she was always tough. She was smart. And she's told us this one story too. She was visiting a friend and the Japanese started bombing. And and so the people were saying, let's hide underneath these bomb shelters. And she goes, I don't want to hide. I want to be with my own family. So she ran for miles in the street. People being shot and bombed and she just and people were yelling at little girl you gotta hide and she made it all the way home because she wanted to be with her family and I always think about that like she just ran like I would be like yeah I'm gonna hide in the shelter I'll I'll be in the shelter tell me when it's over yeah but these are stories you're right I am never complaining about anything ever again
0: (laughs) just thinking about all the dumb things I complain about like my childhood (laughs) forget it I'm never doing that ever again what would
1: you tell your 20-year-old self? Oh, that's a good one. Uh, I think I would say don't lose your confidence. There was a time, I, I felt that in high school, college, I was pretty confident. But then as law, law school started, after law, I felt I lost my confidence. I lost my voice. It kind of felt like, you know, you question things so much. Am I good enough? Is this for me? Did I choose the right path? And every time... Uh, an obstacle would come instead of taking it now as, okay, let's learn from it. I would take it negatively. Like, why don't I know that answer? Why did I mess that up? And it was a long segment of time where I doubted myself, doubted everything and, and the confidence wasn't there. And where it came back was slowly seeing how people were, where I was really making a difference in people's lives, where people were feeling whole again, where I was, giving them that help that they needed. And that I felt that, okay, without me, that would still have been a problem. And or without my guidance, they wouldn't have known where to go. And that started for me, my track of getting that confidence, like, okay, I know how to do this, I know how to handle this. But there was a long segment of just that doubt and that confidence. And I think I could have done better, maybe learned more things at a quicker pace if I didn't doubt myself so much. So I think keep up that confidence that you can get through this. You're, you're a badass. You can do it. You know, I think
0: we've all done that though. Yeah. Especially I want to say, I think men have those insecurities too. I was going to say women largely, but I think men go through that too. They go through when you're young. It's just part of being young, right? Just yeah. having that. Yeah. You're lacking the life experience yeah. that gives you the confidence.
1: That's exactly right. And I would be don't lose hope. Always have that faith. Always have that faith, yeah. you know, Good advice. I
0: hope you share that with your daughters. Yes. Okay, final question, which I think you may have just answered, but what would you tell other women who are thinking of starting their own law firm but are afraid?
1: So I would tell them take a deep breath. It will feel like a free fall. Like I honestly picture myself as jumping off a bridge when I decided to make it. It was really that feeling of like, here we go. But to keep the faith, it will, because there's a, I feel that. Those thoughts don't just come into your head to open your firm. It doesn't just appear. There's a reason why it's in your head. Pay attention to that. Persist uh, and and really keep up that confidence that you can do it. And there's a tribe out there. We're women that could help each other. Don't be afraid to reach out. You know, Mm -hmm. I do know there's, when I reached out to other women, when I say, here's my issue regarding hiring, here's my issue regarding payroll. I can't tell you, the women I reach out to are more than happy to lend an ear, to sit with me and guide me. And, and I'm happy to do that back. So don't for, don't be afraid to reach out and you can do it. You will accomplish it. You really yeah. will. You know, you're not going to be an island by yourself. There's no, no
0: way. I found that to be true too when I went out on my own, that people were happy for me. They wanted to see me be successful. They would send me business and give me all kinds of business advice and encouragement. So especially the other female attorneys, and I think that they have really supported me. And we support each other, like you're saying. And this podcast is a great example. My hashtag FemsWire series. Everyone has been so encouraging, and I don't think there were maybe one or two people that
1: said no. And I believe me, I've asked a lot, but, and <laughs> I'm so grateful. Absolutely. And in my head, if I were a young attorney or someone starting out to open up their own firm, I would love to have this podcast. There's so many good nuggets in every episode that you have. There really is. And we didn't have this, right? When no. we were starting out, There was the, well, I don't even know what a podcast was then, you know. Yeah. Quite frankly, I'm only learning about them in the last couple of years. Yeah. But.
0: Well, they're they're picking up speed. Yeah. But yeah, everybody that I've interviewed, they share that, the same sentiments that they they were lacking some confidence when they were young and that it's just something that has evolved over time as you grow and learn and yeah. unfortunately get older. Yeah, right. Exactly. But everybody's also shared a lot of business tips and how they drummed up business and yeah. all the
1: fears they had when they were starting a business. And, and you know, one of the other things I learned, there were some attorneys who were starting out and they, I think they had that scarcity mindset Oh, I'm not going to share too much information from you. I'm not going to share real much. Yeah. I'm always happy to tell everyone this is what I do. This is how we do it because honestly they're, they're, right there's a, like we can't help every single person in this world. There's no way and I don't want to. There's you know that's not going to give you good quality. So why not help each other? Why not give that advice? It's free. Why not? Yeah. I mean, there's
0: always going to be somebody that is sort of keeps things close to the vest because they come from a more competitive mindset and they feel like you can't both be successful. You know, I can't help you only at my own expense, but I do think that those people are few
1: and far between. Sure. And when, yeah. But, you know, it's interesting when you do meet them, it's it's really hard to accept in my mind. Yeah. Like, I'm Like
0: what? what's wrong? Are
1: you I, I feel like are you? jealous or you know no. like, don't be so I, I, really because I'm always like sure you want to see what I do for my marketing sure no problem that's what I do it's all, it's all good yeah your business
0: isn't going to suddenly dry up because you you shared your marketing plan with somebody <laughs>
1: exactly anyway
0: thank you so much this was such great such great material oh, thank you so much I had a great time this is good I enjoyed it and I really enjoyed hearing your family stories too thank you Thank you for listening to wake up call the podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you'd like to know more about me, you can find out more on my website, christinaprevitt.com and be sure to sign up for my newsletter where I talk about everything that I'm reading, learning, listening to doing basically everything that I'm obsessed with right now. Follow me on social media. Look up wake up call the podcast on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. If you'd like to be a guest on Wake Up Call or there's someone you'd like to hear on my podcast, please email me at podcast at gmail.com. Thank you and see you next time.